I want us to consider what it means this evening that the Word became flesh. What does Christmas mean to you? That's a question that's often asked, isn't it, at this, this time of year? Well, we might hear various answers, I suppose. It's a time for giving and, and receiving, as one of the famous songs that's played at this time says. Maybe a time for families, a time to get together, time to perhaps be happy and to forget all the troubles, at least for a short time. Time for eating, drinking, having fun. Well, Christmas means a lot. If you ask the Apostle John what the Christmas meant to him, if they had Christmas uh, in the first century, I don't think they did. But if you were to ask him, I think he would come up with a verse the words of verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. One commentator I was reading said that this, this short verse is the most concise statement in the whole of Scripture about the Incarnation about God coming in flesh. And so I think it's an appropriate verse for us to consider uh, on this Sunday evening. The first thing I want us to see is that Christmas is about a person. Christmas is about a person. First thing that John tells us about here, it's about someone who he calls the Word. That might seem a strange name or title to us, but it would have been a title which was full of meaning to the people who John was writing to in the first century. Greek people would have known that that word, which is translated logos, that that word was the divine principle. That uh, thing, we might say, which spread throughout the whole of the universe, that turned chaos into order and disunity into unity that was what the stoic philosophers believed and that would have been in their minds to the jewish people that john was writing to well that logos there would have been they'd have thought immediately of the powerful word of god the god who spoke and brought the the worlds into being brought the stars and the planets, and the plants, and the animals, who spoke a word, and they came into being. The Logos spoke of of God's power and God's wisdom. Well, John isn't speaking here about some abstract concept like power, or wisdom, or, or, or reason, as the Greeks would have thought it. He's speaking of a real person. The person who we read in verse 1 was there in the beginning. This person, in fact, had no beginning. He was eternal. He was, as we're told there, he was with God and was God. Well, that's pretty difficult to get your head around if you think about it for a moment. How can someone be with someone and at the same time be that person well it 
it's impossible to us, I guess, to get our heads around that. But in that short phrase, John is describing to us what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. And we still find our heads difficult to get our, our heads around that. That here we have one God who is in three persons. And each of those persons is equally God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's pretty, head to get, pretty hard to get our heads around, isn't it? But for now, we, we need to understand this, that the Word was God. This person who John is describing here was in the beginning. He made everything. He was the one who, it says in verse 4, gave life to mankind, to each one of us. He sustains life. And this person is, as he says in verse 5, the, the light and the life of all mankind. So Christmas is about a person, first of all. A very special person. It's about God. Later in the verse, this verse, John identifies this person as the, own, the one and only Son of God. The one and only there means he's unique. There is no other like him. He is a very, very special person, we might say. And yet, sadly, many people will have celebrated Christmas this weekend without any knowledge of that truth. Christmas will have been about presents and about celebrations, but it will not have been about a person, about this person. Yes, they might know it was something about a baby in a stable, but perhaps they never really fully understand the true identity of who that baby was. What about us today? Have we come to realize that there was God in that stable, lying in that manger. As the carol writer says, lowly in a manger lies. He who built the starry skies. He who throned in heights sublime reigns above the cherubim. That is who was in that stable. It was a Christmas is about a person. The second thing I want you to see from our verse this evening is that Christmas is about a visitation. One of the things we do at Christmas time, don't we, is we, we go and visit people, family, friends, that auntie and uncle who we only ever see one time in the year. And I guess we might consider that to be a pleasure or a chore, I don't know. Christmas is about a visit visitation, isn't it? But in, this, is, this is what John is saying here, though, isn't he? He says that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Word visited us. He came and dwelt amongst us. And if we pause for a moment, that's staggering. That's staggering. And to a Greek person, it would be more than just staggering. It would be ridiculous because the Greek gods were detached they were distant they weren't interested in the world or 
or the affairs of mankind. They weren't interested in mankind's heartaches and, and struggles. The idea that God would become human and would visit us, that was, that was too ridiculous to be even considered. Well, that's exactly what God did. He became one of us. He took on the restrictions, the limitations of a human body so that he could visit us. You know, we occasionally, don't we perhaps read in our newspapers of, of famous people who go out in disguise so that they can do normal things and mix with normal people. It's said that Queen Victoria actually went to hear in the great preacher Charles Spurgeon in disguise. We don't know actually if that is true or not. But even if it was, what you have in the end really, if you think about it, is just one human visiting another human, even if one of them is in disguise. It doesn't involve the human taking on a new nature. But that's what God did. God took on a new nature. He became human. And that's incomprehensible. There's nothing in the whole of human history that, that we can compare with that event. And those who were Jews who heard or read John's words would have latched on to that phrase, he made his dwelling with us. Because literally it means he lives in a tent or he, he came to live in a tent. And their minds would have gone back to their ancestors and the times when they, they lived in the wilderness for 40 years as they traveled to the promised land. And they, they had to live in tents for those 40 years. But it wasn't just the Israelites who lived in a tent. We read that God also took up residence in a tent, in the, in the tabernacle at that time. He did that this so that he could live amongst his people. That was a gracious condescension of God that he would do that. And later God dwelt in the temple that Solomon built. Both of these were, were great acts of condescension by God, but both were temporary acts. But now we're told that God is living in a, a new tent. He's living in a human body. And he does this so that he can live with mankind again. And this time it's permanent. God takes on a human body permanently. Why does he, why does he do this? Well, we, we read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. God has spoken to us through the Lord Jesus. Jesus is uh, God's son and he's the most accurate representation that we have of what God 
is like. Through Jesus, God speaks to us most clearly of all. No wonder John calls him the Word of God. And the best answer to the question, what is God like? The best answer is Jesus. God is like Jesus. And even Jesus' disciples were, were slow to grasp this. You remember that occasion in John chapter 14 when, when Philip says to, to Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father and we, that will be enough for us. What does Jesus answer him? He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for, for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus shows us God most clearly of all. So we know what God is like. But the second thing, why God does this, why God comes in flesh, is so that we can know Him. So that we can know Him personally. This God desires that we don't just know what He's like, but He desires that we come to know Him personally, that we have a relationship with Him. He becomes one of us so that that can happen. Again, I just pause and ask you, have you realized that, that God visited us on that first Christmas time so that we might know Him personally. Lord, You are God beyond all praising, yet for love's sake became a man, stooping so low, but sinners raising, heavenwards by Your eternal plan. Lord, you are God beyond all praising, yet for love's sake became a man. He visited us so that we might know him. Not only just know what he was, he's like, but that we might know him personally. Then the third and final thing I want us to see from this verse is that Christmas is about glory as well. I don't know if you've noticed that in the, in the Christmas narratives. There's a lot of glory talked about. Mary sings in the Magnificat, My soul glorifies the Lord. The angels pronounce to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest. And Simeon, who we were hearing about just last Sunday, was it? in the temple as he holds that newborn baby in his arms, says, this is the glory of your people, Israel. Christmas is all about glory. And John takes up the theme in this verse 14, doesn't he? He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. You know, we think of glory as being about praise, you know, someone receives, when someone receives glory, they receive the praise and recognition of others. And we do, I suppose, that happens at this time of year a lot. Just, for example, in the sports personality of the year, isn't it? That's all about recognizing our sports stars and, and giving them praise. Well, when we come to talk about God's glory, it means much more 
than just giving him praise, although that is part of it. Would you turn with me to the book of Exodus uh, and chapter 33? And we see there something about what God's glory means. Exodus chapter 33. Perhaps somebody would mind if reading from verses 18, please, to 23 for us. Somebody would read Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. So we see something here of when, when Moses asks God to, to show him his glory, the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Goodness is, is one of God's characteristics. And I will proclaim my name. So it includes God's name as well uh, of the Lord in your presence. And I will have mercy on, this is on, on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. These are all characteristics of, of, of God uh, and, and all tied up with his name as well and what his name Yahweh means. And we notice that, that here that everything that is about God is, is, is part of his, his glory, his character, his name, his perfections. That's all part of God's glory. And we notice also that Moses is only permitted to see part of God's glory, his goodness. That was all Moses could cope with if he was to see the fullness of God in all his glory. It would mean death because he was a sinner. I want you to listen again to the writer of the Hebrews where he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. See, God reveals in Jesus his glory to us in the fullest possible way way even more fully than Moses was able to see we have God's glory revealed in the Lord Jesus and in the words words of John uh, in that chapter uh, that we're looking at tonight he says Jesus was the light shining in the darkness when when Christ lived on earth God's glory shone most brightly of all Sadly, we read in verse 10 of John chapter 1 that many did not recognize him uh, in the world. Even his own people, the Jews, did not recognize him, we see in verse 11. In truth, they rejected him, didn't they? They, they nailed him to the cross. But there were a few, his disciples and others, who did recognize who he was. And we read in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I must just pause and ask, is that true of you this evening? Have you recognized who Jesus is? Or have you rejected him? We don't, of course, have the benefit of seeing Jesus uh, as those people in the first century did, as even John did. But in a sense, that doesn't really matter because many who, who viewed him with their own eyes didn't believe who he was. They rejected him. What about us this evening? Do we believe in him? Do we believe in his name? The Bible tells us 
that uh, tells us enough about the Lord Jesus so that we can see God's glory in him, to recognize that he is God. The Bible tells us enough. And so the, the correct response to this revelation of God to us is that we believe in him and that we receive him. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. But how is God glorified in, by coming to us, by becoming flesh, by be, becoming like us? How is God glorified in this act? Well, I think there's a clue in the two characteristics that John picks out at the end of verse 14. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's grace and his truth are revealed in the Lord Jesus. Grace is his favor to those who don't deserve it. Jesus came to a sinful world that, it, that rejected him. It was God's grace that caused him to become human. It was his grace that caused him to live amongst us. It was his grace that caused him to die for us on the cross. The angel sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those who, with whom his favor rests. God makes peace possible. Our sins that have offended him that have made us his enemies, are dealt with by Christ going to the cross. He takes on human flesh so that we can have peace with him. He dies on the cross so that we can have peace with him. He gives up all his privileges to come to us who are in the deepest of needs. And the challenge to us is, is that, is, are we willing to accept Him? Are we willing to accept Him? But God is also glorified in that His, His, His wonderful plan of redemption is, is revealed to us as well. The incarnation, God becoming coming in human flesh, is a crucial and essential part of God's plan of redemption. God is glorified in the salvation of men and women, and boys and girls. But John tells us also that Jesus shows God's truth as well. Not just God's grace, but God's truth. Jesus, in fact, is the embodiment of truth. He said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, there are many religions today Many organizations claiming our allegiance, wanting us to, to be allied to them. But only Jesus is the way to God. There are many claiming to have the truth, claiming to give meaning to life. 
but only Jesus gives eternal life. We glorify God when we declare his truth to other people. When we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, we glorify God. When we tell them that God came in human flesh to die so that they might be saved, we, we, we proclaim the truth and we glorify God when we do that. And so the incarnation is, is not only an essential part of God's salvation plan, it provides with us, a, a, as it were, an example, a, a model of of how we should evangelize as well. Just as God humbles himself, takes on human flesh, so that we might, he, we might come to know him, well, so we can follow that example and be willing to, to humble ourselves, to give up our privileges, so that we can make others known, so we can make him known to others. That's the challenge, I think, that comes to us who are believers this evening from the, from the incarnation. Are we willing to, to give up our privileges so that we can go to people in need and share the gospel? To those who are lonely, to those who are outcasts, to those who we would say perhaps uh, we would have nothing to do with them. Are we willing to go to the sinner and to make known God's grace and truth so that they too might come to know Him? As we consider the incarnation and all that it meant for God to become human, what difference does it make to our lives this evening? How are we going to respond to this grace and this truth that God has shown us. Christmas is all about glory. Glory to God in the highest. And it's all about Jesus. So let's worship Him. Let's praise Him. Let's give our lives to Him. And let's serve Him. We're going to sing our final hymn. Not our final hymn, sorry. Hymn before we come to uh, the Lord's table. We're going to sing that carol which I quoted from uh, a moment ago. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. <laughs>